My name's Peter, as Ken said, I'm one of the pastors here, uh, privileged to have been serving in this church for 25 years, and uh, looking forward to sharing the word with you this morning. We have been going through the book of Matthew, and so today we're in Matthew chapter 10, and if you want to turn your uh, Bibles there, uh, we're going to be reading through that in a moment, actually the last few verses of Matthew chapter 9, uh, to start with, beginning to read at verse 35. And as we've been going through Matthew, it's been interesting to me just to watch how God has been bringing up certain chapters and certain topics at certain times in our journey and uh, so that what God is saying to us through the scriptures is lining up with actually where we really are today and so um, I have such a word for us this morning that God uh, wants to speak to us something that uh, if, if I knew where we were I'd probably have come to Matthew 10 anyway but here we are in Matthew 10 just because that's what we're doing and as we're journeying through and God wants to speak to us through his word this morning out of this chapter you have to put yourself, when you're reading scripture, you have to put yourself into the heart, the mind, the place, if you can, of the people who first received these words. What were they thinking when they first heard them? What, how did it impact them? And to understand a little bit of how they were thinking, you have to understand the culture. You have to understand a little bit of uh, what had been happening in their history and in their times. And that's particularly true of this chapter. If you put yourself in the mindset of somebody in the Middle East in those days as much as we can, uh, you would have had for the previous 800 years or so a history of different empires rising up, taking over the land, spreading out all over the region, uh, bringing people into um, subservience to them, taking of taxes and whatever from them, taking away people to be slaves, getting crushed by another power that grew up, another empire coming. Empires rising and falling. In 800 years they'd had an Assyrian empire, they'd had a Babylonian empire, they'd had a Persian Empire. After the Persian Empire, the Greeks started to rise up. The Carthaginians in Tunisia started to rise up. And then Alexander the Great and the Macedonians came through Greece. They rose up. There was a Parthian Empire around the same time. And then over them all came the Roman Empire, which basically crushed everything that came before it. But they were used to a cycle of different places, whether they were people groups or even cities like Rome and Carthage and, and Babylon, getting stronger and stronger and stronger, rising up, taking over the land, and bringing everybody in the land in subjection to their rules and to their ways. That's how things worked. And so you got used to the fact that as just an ordinary citizen of an ordinary country, uh, you were overtaken by some other power. And that other power would uh, basically decide how you were going to live, how you were going to spend your money, and what was going to happen. But there was nothing you could do about it. But that's how empires went up and came down. And these empires, as they grew, they obviously grew by growing their troops. They got their, their armies together. They trained them. They tried to make them the most skilled they could in their armies. Thank you for this. Oh, this is interesting. All right. Thank you, Evan. Are you going to play a game here today? We've got some chess pieces. I'm not going to bother setting them up right now. I'll take my time as we go through. 
Um, but they would raise up their armies and uh, they would obviously want to have the best trained troops. They would obviously want to have the best technology. They wanted to do whatever they could to grow and grow in strength so that when they started to break out, they were able to defeat and defeat and defeat the armies that stood against them. That's how they went across their business. And at some point, they probably stood in front of their troops and gave some speeches about how they were going to go and they were going to take the land that was before them. They were going to use that strength. They were going to use that technology and that know-how and they were going to crush everybody in front of them. A bit like Saruman at Helm's Deep before Helm's Deep if you know your Lord of the Rings. And, um, and basically, you're going to go out, you're going to crush, you're going to trample everybody and that's how we're going to bring this empire in. Into that mix comes Jesus of Nazareth. When he speaks, the people who are listening say he speaks with an authority like we have not heard. Now, put that in the context. They live under Rome's rulership. Pontius Pilate who makes decrees. Herod who makes decrees as a puppet. And Caesar who makes decrees. These people have heard all sorts of decrees. But when they listen to Jesus of Nazareth, they say, nobody speaks like this man. He has an authority that nobody else has. And not only does Jesus speak with authority, that's up to Matthew chapter 7. In 8 and 9, the previous two chapters we've looked at, he starts to act in authority. And by the time he's finished... At the end of chapter 9, people are saying uh, they, they can't believe the amount of authority and power that Jesus has. And they glorified God in heaven who gives such authority to men. That's what they say. Because in all of their history and all of the stuff that they have seen in their lives and heard and been taught about, nobody has had the authority that Jesus has. They might have the greatest armies in the world. They might be able to trample on whoever they want to trample on. But nobody has the authority that Jesus has. It's a stunning thing to say because he hasn't done anything yet. In terms of taking over the world. But the way he speaks and the way he acts. Nobody who has ever walked the face of this earth has anything like the authority that he has. Now we get to a crucial stage in the story. Because Jesus isn't just about touching the people that are around him. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus' heart is for beyond. His heart is always for beyond. He's thinking beyond what he can do in his physical body that he is in right now. He's thinking about how he can reach more people. That's what his mind is thinking. That's where his heart is going. And at the end of chapter 9, we're going to read a moment what he says to his disciples about what he can see. And then in chapter 10, it's like he gathers his troops together and he explains to them how they are going to move out into the land that he is talking about and how he is going to reach the places that he's looking to reach. So let's read that together out of chapter 10 right now. I'm going to start reading, sorry, in Matthew 9, verse 35. And it says this. As Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, 
Like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then into Matthew 10. He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep, as monks wolves. So be wise as servants and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his master, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will be by no means lose his reward. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. As a statement. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, 
Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, the world is full of words. The internet is full of words. But Lord, only one set of words is really important. And that's your words. And we want to listen, Lord, through all the cacophony of all the other words today. We want to push them to one side and we want to listen to the words of Jesus today. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would implant them in our hearts. You would cause them to bud and grow into into lively plants, Lord, that bring righteousness and peace and, and the kingdom of God wherever we go. I pray, Father, you would encourage us by your spirit and you would speak to us. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All those powerful empires had great leaders with powerful ideas of how to advance their kingdoms. They had powerful armies. They had powerful technology and weapons. All made to conquer other lands. But 2,000 years later, only one of those kingdoms remain. It still is the largest growing kingdom on earth. It has the most adherence across the largest landmass of any other kingdom. It is the kingdom of our God and of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't gather a whole lot of troops and give them a whole lot of weapons. He gave them something much more important than that. And there's an absolute genius about the way that Jesus went about his business. And I want to talk this morning about the genius of Jesus. How that applies to us, how it applied to the disciples all those years ago. So I'm going to pick out four points out of this passage if we get to them all today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in them all. I'm just going to skim over some of them. There's so much more in this passage if you want to take away and look at it in your cell groups or where you do. Because there's so much to be taken out about how Jesus goes about his business and how he encourages us to be part of that with him. But let me pick out four pieces for you uh, from this about the genius of Jesus this morning. Firstly, it's this. Jesus delegates to disciples. Jesus delegates to disciples. Verse 1 tells us he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. This is the next phase of Jesus' mission. He's spoken with authority and people have heard it. He's demonstrated authority and people have responded to it. Not just the crowds of the poor and the broken and those who need healing. But we've had in the last two chapters a Jewish ruler whose daughter had died, who Jesus brought back to life. 
We've had a centurion from the Roman army who's come to Jesus because nobody else has authority to do what this Roman centurion wants to see happen in terms of healing his servant. Caesar can't do it for him. None of the people who have authority in his life can do it. He needs someone with greater authority than Caesar. And so he sends to Jesus because he knows who has the real authority. And Jesus is acting in this authority and his authority is beginning to spread. And people realize that the kingdom that is coming through Jesus Christ is more powerful than any other kingdom on earth. Because it can do things that no other kingdom can do. It can get to the root of all our problems. It can deal with our leprosy. It can deal with our crippledness. It can deal with our brokenness. It can deal with our sin. It can deal with our darkness. It can deal with demons. It can deal with violent storms. It can deal with death. There is nothing in our earth and in our skies that goes on that the kingdom and the government of Jesus Christ cannot deal with. There is no other authority in heaven and earth that can get to the roots of the problems of our society and the worlds that we live in other than Jesus Christ. And people are already beginning to believe that. But now we're in this new phase of the journey where Jesus is wanting to multiply what he is doing because he wants his authority to be released into the earth so that people might be saved. And so he gathers his 12 to them and he releases his authority to them. He gives them that authority. And they go out and begin to do what he's wanting to do. This is how Jesus grows his kingdom. It's the genius of Jesus. No big army. We're not coming in to take over. We're not going to overpower you. We're not going to grab your lands and grab your children and grab everybody else. That's not what the gospel is. We are disciples of Jesus Christ who have been given authority by Jesus Christ to go into the world and make more disciples, to build relationships, to get alongside people, to win their trust, to win their hearts and to introduce them to Jesus in the hope that they might be saved. Jesus grows his kingdom by making disciples and delegating authority to them. So that they too might make disciples and delegate authority to them. And it gets passed on from one generation to one generation to one generation. It's a relationship building exercise that takes over the world by love and kindness. Not by power and might. That's the genius of the kingdom. And it's the reason why it still exists the way that it does. And is growing the way that it is. Notice Jesus didn't delegate to the people we would expect him to. If you want to go into the synagogues and win debates, surely you need at at least one good theologian in your group of 12. Jesus adds Saul in afterwards, Paul. I'm sure these guys had some understanding of the scriptures, but there were plenty of people around who had more understanding of the scriptures than these guys. If you want to win debates, shouldn't you have those sorts of people? No, that's not what Jesus chose. Well, if you want to win battles and you want to fight your way through, surely you need strong fit. You need the the most able. No, that's not what Jesus took either. These guys are a motley crew of people. All sorts of people from all sorts of background. But they had one thing in common. What was the one thing in common? Jesus was in common for them. Yeah. But what about themselves? What were they that was in common? What did they have in common? They were all... They were all ordinary. Yep, they were. Some of them were 
different than others. Some have more money than others. They were all disciples. That was the one thing that they had in common. Jesus had called them all and they had responded. They were disciples of Jesus Christ. I've, as you know, had a bit of back trouble over the last little while. Um, God touched me as you guys prayed and really appreciated that. And I've had a few more little twinges. So I've been going to my physio over at Benita's place and they've been looking after me very well. I was lying there on the couch the other day doing my exercises behind the closed curtain. And um, as I was lying there on the couch, I could hear the physio next door with a newcomer. And this newcomer, a young guy, came in. He was obviously a hockey player because he said so. Um, and uh, he <laughs> uh, but he had trouble with his ankle and he couldn't play hockey the way he wanted and this was obviously not his first time in the physio so he's next door and I can hear this conversation so the physiotherapist says to him okay let's show me the movement so they showed him the movement ah, 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 you know this pain in different ways that he moved so the physio looks at it and then she says to him so have you done the exercises that I told you The answer, Benita, is <laughs> no, we hadn't done the exercises. And she very gently and kindly said to him, if you don't do what I tell you to do, this ankle isn't going to get better. What's a disciple? Is a disciple someone who knows a lot? Is a disciple a learner who learns a lot? Is a disciple a student who gains a lot of information? No. A discipler is the one who does it. All right, that seemed to. Uh... <laughs> you, you, are you with me? The ankle's not going to get better by learning the information about how to make it better. The ankle will only get better if you go away and do those exercises. Jesus didn't choose the people who had the most knowledge, who had the most understanding. There was a lot of people out there who had way more understanding of the scriptures than these guys. He wanted people who were going to do what he told them to do. He wanted disciples. And that's why you can be sent out by Jesus with very little knowledge, very little training, very little understanding, but you're just going to do what he tells you to do. And you might have all sorts of training and all sorts of understanding and all sorts of knowledge, but Jesus might not send you out because he doesn't know that you're going to do it. Are you still with me? Okay. Good. It's good to have ears. But it's better to have feet. As well. So I hear the words and I do something with it. Alright? That's what Jesus did. And that was the genius of it. Because it's better to have 12 people who are going to do what you say than a hundred thousand people who know everything but they're not going to do it the way you ask them to do it. Are you still, still with us? Okay, you're processing it. Okay, okay. 
Jesus delegated his authority to disciples. Do you want more authority in your life? Would you like more authority in the way that you go about your business every day? With the way you deal with situations that come up? With people around you who are struggling and who need that power and that that release into their lives. Do you want more authority in it? How, How do you go about getting more authority? By being obedient to what you know. Brilliant. By being obedient to what you know. If you want to grow in authority, grow in being a disciple because Jesus delegates to disciples. Secondly, quickly, Jesus' goal is the gospel. What Jesus is after is that everybody gets to hear the gospel. Listen to what he says. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that's only the first part of the gospel. Jesus didn't just say that. Listen to what he says. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Jesus doesn't just want people to hear the gospel. He wants people to experience the gospel. Right? So that the words come with power. Not because somebody speaks them forcefully, but because the power of the Holy Spirit backs up the words that are being spoken. Is that a challenge to us? I think so. It's a good challenge though, isn't it? Lord, I want to be able to preach the gospel in power and I want to be able to demonstrate the gospel in power. The gospel that is delivered in love and demonstrated in power. And Lord, if I want to increase the power... If I want to increase the authority side of that equation, I'm going to come back to my first point. Would you grow me as a disciple? Help me not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of it. Would you show me, Lord, where I'm so stacked up with knowledge, but Lord, it comes out in so little ways in the way that I live. Would you help me to understand, Lord, how I can take what you've given me and put it into reality and put it into real life? Because we want a gospel in our land that is both proclaimed and experienced. And what Jesus is talking about here is extending authority in such a way that it deals with all the basic, under the carpet, foundational, negative things that are in our society today. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. All that big stuff that exists underneath everything else, you have authority over it. Go and deal with that. And as you deal with that and as you see God move powerfully through you in those situations, you don't just have a word of a gospel, but you have a reality of a gospel that people can see. Here isn't just a Jesus that says he sets people free. It's a Jesus who really does set people free. It's not just a Jesus who says that he can heal you. 
He's a Jesus who really does heal people. And he really does drive out demons. And if we don't believe that in our nation we need to drive out demons. We're not reading our scriptures. And we don't have our eyes open. Church in Canada in 2017. We need to be operating in driving out demons. Because they've set up strongholds all over the place. And until the church exercises the authority they have in Jesus Christ and deals with them, they'll carry on blinding people's eyes. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus could have said, go up to the, to the, to the main places of debate and, and try and win the arguments. So what he just says, drive out the demons. Get the demons out of there. At least you then have, a, have an argument that you can talk with people face to face rather than you're talking to someone who's bound up by darkness and lies and deceptions and everything else. We need to be a spiritual church who are working on spiritual levels and dealing with spiritual issues. The real spiritual issues that bind up people's lives. When was the last time you drove out a demon? Maybe you should pray for an opportunity. Jesus' goal is that people get to hear the gospel so they have an opportunity to respond. Jesus' strategy is generosity. Listen to what he says. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. In other words, give what you've got. Be generous with what God has entrusted you. You know the story of Peter at the, and John at the temple, right? And they're, they're walking to the temple gate, a crippled man. He asks for um, some money. And Peter says to him, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. Give what you've got. And what did he have? Well, he had authority because Jesus gave it to him. It wasn't presumed. Oh, I'm, I, I've been around Jesus, so I've got this authority. Jesus gave it to him. He'd heard Jesus give it to him. And he said, I'm going to give you what I've got. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Boom. Give what you've got. That's how... The genius of the gospel grows and expands across the earth. It expands through generosity. Peter, I I don't know what to give. Well, do you have gifts of faith? Give gifts of faith. Do you have gifts of encouragement? Give gifts of encouragement. Do you have administrative gift? Give your administrative gift. Do you have gifts with your hands? You can do things with your hands. And it's just like God gave you something that he had personally into your hands so you can create beautiful things. Give what you have. We all have gifts and talents and abilities that God has given us. And if we want to see the gospel grow and see the kingdom of God advance, it advances through the generosity of people who open up their hearts and give it away. Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is generosity. It's the generosity of a God in heaven who gave up his most precious possession. His only son. It's the gospel of that same precious possession, Jesus Christ, who gave up his own life. Gave it away. And not giving it away to people who are going to respond nicely to the giving. 
Send him a thank you card. Thank you for dying on the cross. And thank you for doing this. Many of us have. But many people not. People resisted that generosity. Fought against it. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. This stuff doesn't make sense. God's being kind to people. How can you not like that? Well, because there's a devil who doesn't like it. And he's going to stir people up. It doesn't make sense. It's not rational. The responses to the kindness of God in the gospel. But they're there anyway. And Jesus knows they're going to happen. So he says, go on being generous. They're going to take you before their rulers. They're going to take you before people. They're going to persecute you. They're going to flog you in their synagogues. Even your own family, they're going to get divided and say, why are you doing this? Why are you being so generous to this person and that person? Why, Why are things happening that are breaking up our family? You insist on believing this and we don't believe that. And and they're not going to receive it. And you're going to be taken in front of kings. and, And you may even lose your life for generosity. It's the genius of Jesus. We're not going to overpower them with a sword. We're going to overpower the kingdoms of darkness with a cross. And if you want to be my followers, Jesus says, you need to take up your cross and follow me. You need to be generous like I'm generous. And I gave my life away. That's what the cross is, you know. It's the incredible generosity of God. For all of us, right? That's why the gospel's winning hearts all over the world. Not by forcing people. But simply because when people's eyes are open to incredible, the generosity and kindness of God is, how can you not love a God like that? How can you not love a God like that? And if we want to be a disciple who walks in the authority of Jesus Christ, Lord, how are you going to grow me as a disciple? Well, Peter, I want you to give away what I've given you. Give it away and give it away and give it away. People throw it back in your face if people use it to persecute you and hurt you. And keep giving it away. Never stop. Don't hoard. Don't hold the house shut. Don't bar the doors. Keep giving it away. Because that is how my kingdom works. The genius is generosity. We just had a, an incredible a summit this weekend here. This belongs summit. How many of you were a part of it or came to it at different times? Okay. I want to encourage you, if it comes round again, uh, to sign up to come. Because you will hear some incredible stories of some incredible people who are doing just what I'm telling you today. And many of you, some of you in, in this room here this morning. And thank you uh, for those of you who spent your weekend and your time putting the Belong Summit together. Thank you so much. It's a huge blessing to our city. I believe it will bless our province and even our nation. But people who simply by opening their home, responding to a phone call, really take this baby, just been born, whatever, is, you know, nowhere to go, would you take this baby? And in the middle of all of their stuff that's going on in their life, and I've got this on, I've got that on, I've got this on, they say yes. That's what I'm talking about here. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The capacity to say yes when it comes to being generous. And we have to obey the Holy Spirit in that. It's not the same for everybody how we respond. But the heart is the same. Generous. Giving away, giving away, giving away, giving away. Not trying to hold things together for my future. And Am I going to have enough? And How is this all going to work out? 
But understanding that if we give away as God has given freely, you have received. Freely give. The strategy is generosity. And fourthly, Jesus oversees the operation. The reason for my chessboard up here is not that I want to set up a scenario where you've got Jesus on one side and the devil on the other side and they're trying to outwit each other and trying to outthink each other's strategies because if they can just understand and and try and figure out what's going on then one of them can stay in front of the other. And so that's what the kingdom of God is. It's Jesus sitting on this side trying to figure out what the devil's doing on this side. And uh, the devil on this side trying to figure out what Jesus is doing on this side. And then as they make their moves, then the other person makes their moves. And so somehow between it all, Jesus is going to come out victorious. That, that's not what the kingdom of God is. That's not what it means when it says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. As Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel. That's not what it means. Let me tell you what it means. It means this. It means that Jesus is not sitting here on one side. And not sitting here on the other. And it's not the devil versus Jesus trying to figure out each other's plans. You listen to the way that Jesus talks on his way through Matthew 10. He tells them exactly what's going to happen. This is what they're going to do to you. This is what's going to happen to you. Jesus isn't sitting here or here. Jesus is sitting here. He knows exactly what's going on here. He has authority over the whole table. He knows what the devil wants to do and is going to do. He knows how to cut against his plans and to work against his plans. And he can sit here and talk to his church We're sitting on this side of the table and say, I want you to do this and this. And by the way, when you move up here, he's going to move here and then he's going to move here and he's going to move here. But don't worry about that because I'm going to be with you. And when I'm with you, I'm going to speak through you and you're going to do this and this and this. And and he's going to be totally overtaken. Our world and your world and my world is not some series of random events and happenings. It's not ruled by the consequences of our inadequacies. That's not what it means for Jesus to have all authority in heaven and on earth. What it means is he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the master of this game. He's watching everything that's going on. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what he has to do to defeat everything the enemy has. There's nothing the enemy thinks that Jesus doesn't already know. You're in my life and our life as a church is not in the hands of some random happening or in the hands of our own inadequacies. Jesus is moving his pieces around the board as he wishes to move them, knowing exactly how this thing is going, knowing exactly how it's going to end and what's going to happen in between. And when you have a revelation of Jesus Christ in that place, it changes the way that you think. He can say to us three times, fear not. As he does. Fear not. Fear three times in this scripture. Because I've got it all sorted. I know the beginning from the end. And I'm going to move things around this board. Sometimes I'm going to move some things around the board. And it's going to be a bit threatening to you. Sometimes the devil's going to do some things. And you're going to think. Oh no. He's got me in checkmate. 
But I already knew what he was going to do. That's why I moved this pawn over here. All those years ago. Because I got a strategy to come around here and do this and this. And, oh, look at that. Suddenly the devil has nowhere to go. That's who is running the show here. Jesus is. Don't get all worked up about all the stuff that's happening in our world. The threats of this. Now, there's threats in every generation. Jesus is in control. The scroll of God is in the hands of the Lamb. And it's prospering in his hand. And he's delegating that authority to whoever he delegates. And he's moving people around. As he wants to move around because he knows the beginning from the end. And everything is going to work out precisely the way Jesus means it to work out. Do you have a God like that? Like really? You might look at that passage in Matthew 10 and think, well, you know, how does that apply to me? Because it feels like it applies to people like Will and Lalise who might be being sent out or Reinhardt and Darcy or Peter and Everill or some of the other folks that have Christine and gone on from us, Heidi. Uh, and that's what it is about. But you need to understand and, and look at that passage carefully because that's not what Jesus did. He did that later on. He actually set some boundaries for these disciples. He said, don't go, to, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to some of those other places. He said, I want you to start with the lost sheep of Israel. Basically, start where you live. Start in your own home. That's where being an apostolic people starts, right in your own backyard. That's why the Belong Summit was so wonderful, to see ways in which we can be doing things in our own backyard. We've got lots of opportunities in our city that many of you are part of, and God wants to increase that. And the message that I really wanted to give you today is this. I believe that we stand on the doorway into a whole brighter bigger future of what God wants to do with us in this whole area of sending and going and giving, being an apostolic people. We need, by the grace of God, greater authority to do what God's asking us to do. All authority is in heaven and earth. But we want to grow in that authority and grow in the grace that Jesus has to give us in these areas. So what does it mean for us to grow as a disciple and to grow in generosity. What does that mean for us personally? What does it mean for us corporately together? Because as we grow as a disciple and as we grow in generosity, that means that Jesus will delegate more and more authority to us and enable us to do more and more and more around the world as he asks us to do it. And it starts right here at home.